Welcome to the Beer Sec Ops Podcast. Yeah, I said beer. Some had to go to make room for beer, and it wasn't going to be sec, was it? And now we need those ops guys, so sorry, Dev. Beer Sec Ops, who will be having conversations with cybersecurity industry influencers and frontline DevOps warriors to help provide us with a cloud-native security blanket. For those who are treading lightly into our hazy DevSecOps world of rainbow chundering unicorns. My guest on this podcast is Adrian Goins. Adrian works for Rancher, and I came to know Adrian uh, by reference because I was doing a lot of work with Rancher and some of the people there told me to check out his videos that he had online. Said he's really interesting and he's able to explain technology in a very unique and interesting way. And so I did, and that was certainly true. But what I didn't expect was just how good he is at creating videos that are funny and comedic and very well edited. And his expertise in that area, was, in combination with just technology generally, I found very unique. So I started to dig in and and uh, into some of the things he's done in the past and found that this is a great guy for this podcast. He, he was currently releasing something called Seven Days in Rio, and that was as he explores uh, a, a new open source project released by Rancher, he was giving kind of the, I don't want to say warts and all review of how to deploy it, but it kind of is that. It was a really interesting perspective on taking what is essentially a beta product and turning it, you know, going from zero to hero in a very short amount of time and the successes and challenges associated with that. So it was fascinating. So I've caught him right in the middle of releasing that series in this podcast. And we talk about that and K3S and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff. So here we go. Adrian Goins. Adrian, thank you for being on the podcast. This is awesome. Uh, I realize we're... Oh, it's great to be here. So thanks. Uh, this is this is awesome that you're on it. I got switched on to your videos by... Um, Tom uh, at Rancher, mm -hmm. and then uh, I'm not going to say his name wrong. Yorun, Yorun, yeah, actually you got it right. Um, he said you've got to check out these videos because he does a great, you know, fantastic job of of explaining Rancher. If you need that, and I thought, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll, you know, lots of people do videos. I'll look at them, and then I then it was like, no, not only are these videos like they're, they're good, they're technically excellent, but they're entertaining, and you you turn some technology that may or may not be exciting into something worth watching. And I, I was really impressed by that. Uh, and I want to get into that because I want to know how you do it. But oh, my usual first question. Yeah, no pressure. So you, now you get time to think, okay. right? Because you got a bit of foreshadowing right. of what's going to come. Um, but I'd like you to tell me how you got to where you are now and maybe a little bit about what you do now because it does seem like you do an awful lot that I see in front of the camera that makes me wonder what you would do when the camera's not on. So give me give me your origin story on a postcard if you can. Right. So um, I'm one of those kids that well, well, I'm not a kid anymore, but I'm one of I started out as one of those kids with a Commodore 64 writing basic programs at nine because I had no friends and I trusted computers <laughs> more than I trusted people. So mm -hmm. I somehow managed to turn that into a career. And the the bulk of my career um, after the demise of the dot coms was spent as the operator of a managed service provider that started out in New York and ended up with an office in Europe as well. And for 14 years, we built and managed internet data centers for mostly large U.S. media companies. Um, companies like Sesame Street, portions of MTV Viacom, properties of Yahoo, Scholastic, BET. And that was my, those were my people for 14 years. And then I got tired of doing that. 
Um, so yeah, it was actually, that was really cool. For three years, I got to live in Poland. Then I went back to New York. And then in 2013, my wife and I decided that we wanted to leave the U.S. again. And we had some friends in Chile. So we came down here, checked out Chile. Um, being you know from the United States, my impression of everything in South America was like straight out of Romancing the Stone. Uh, and my dad still <laughs> likes to make those jokes about like, oh, and here's my favorite pig. But Chile's <laughs> not like that. Chile's a... Uh, no, Barring the madness of the last month and a half, Chile is usually quite peaceful, has a stable democratic government, a good hands-off free market economy, and was a great place to come and buy some property. So we came down here, ended up buying some property, built a house, and I was freelancing for a while. And then along the way, I got uh, introduced to Rancher. And I joined Rancher originally as a field engineer, did that for a year left to go start a cryptocurrency mining operation, uh, which failed. <laughs> so I came back. Yeah, there's there's a whole story there. Um, so I came back to Rancher and they were just building on a marketing department. And one of the things that I enjoyed doing as a field engineer was taking the information about what Rancher is and does and explaining that to people who were just beginning to explore you know, either well, at the time it was, you know, Kubernetes, but originally it was actually the cattle orchestrator before they flipped to Kubernetes. And so they had me start doing technical marketing and basically doing explaining. So that's what I do during the day, among other things, uh, for Rancher. And then I started doing video stuff earlier this year. Gosh, I don't even really know why. Um, <laughs> it's like maybe I just didn't have enough to do. And that started out as being all on my own time. And ranchers saw what I was doing and they've been kind enough to grant me some leeway to do that on their time as well. And that's kind of the direction that I'm trying to take my career is to do less hands-on IT work and more explaining, advocating, evangelism, introduction education, stuff that takes people from where they are and moves them to a better place in their life. Wow. I can see why you would be good at that because that was probably the tightest intro that we've had so far on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Very nice. So uh, I, I desperately want to ask about your crypto mining thing, but maybe we'll do that off mic at some point because that is, okay. I have a, I have a side interest in that uh, and how it goes yeah. Yeah, the end of the madness that is cryptocurrency. Yes. So, so I'm actually a little jealous. I do this podcast, obviously, and it, this is supported by my employer, Aqua Security, which is cool. They let me do it during the day and they let me do lots of other things. That is pretty cool. One of them was, I, of course, the reason I met a lot of your rancher colleagues was I got to travel around on the Rancher Lighthouse Roadshow and do I think seven of the nine that went through Europe, which was a, a ton of fun. It was a really mm -hmm. interesting experience. But your videos. So I want to get into that, that okay. you didn't just go to the, you know, I don't know, Walmart and buy a whole bunch of awesome video gear. And then suddenly you're really good at making videos. Do you have some background in this? No, I don't. Or you're a natural. Um, no, I'm not a natural. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm no longer nine years old, but I still have basically no friends. And that, that's my choice. It's not like I, I'm an unfriendly person. We live literally in the middle of nowhere in the Central Valley in Chile. It's 45 minutes to the nearest town. I'm fortunate to have 4G internet access, which is how I run the internet stuff. Um, but otherwise, we're, we're out in the sticks. So we spend pretty much all of our time just, you know, butzing around the property. We have seven and a half acres. Or for those of you who are not in acres, we have 4.2 hectares. So I spend a lot of time learning how to do things. I'm one of those people who doesn't like to sit still. 
And so when I decided that I wanted to explore video production and content production, uh, I just dove in, started getting online courses. And then and to be fair with the equipment stuff, I, I do have some nice equipment, but for anybody who's interested in starting video, that's not required. It's not, the equipment doesn't make the production, the skill makes the production. And there are people doing fantastic things with point and shoot cameras or iPhones. It's just a matter of how you tell the story. And that comes out both in the filming part and in the editing part. So I went in and started out with DaVinci Resolve, which is a free uh, NLE, nonlinear editor. And now I'm using Premiere, but Resolve is also, you know, it's fantastic. And then I just started doing anything. My wife and I started making videos just for ourselves and they were awful. They were absolutely terrible, <laughs> but I continued doing it and they slowly got better. And when they got to a place where I felt comfortable sharing them with people, I started to do so. Interestingly, that's exactly how I got started in technology. Uh, when, so other than like the dabbling with the C64 and stuff when I was a kid, when I started to make internet stuff a career, I got my hands on three computers. This was back in the mid nineties, got my hands on three computers, built them out as a little home network. And I would come home from work where I worked in the mailroom for a shipping company in Denver. And I would spend the time from when I got home until I went to bed building fake websites for companies that I found in the phone book. And I would build them and I would tear them down. I would build them and I would tear them down. And I just voraciously consumed everything about the internet until I had enough skills to go out and become a system administrator. And then it progressed from there. So it's analogous. Wow. Okay. Sounds like you're saying you're largely self-taught. You didn't go, did you study computer science or anything like that? Or did you just go for it? I just went for it. I have no formal college education. Awesome. I've heard people argue that's the way forward. So. Certainly a cheaper way. It's... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it can be. All right, that's awesome. And I'm going to put some links to your videos in the show notes for the podcast, if that's cool. If you have any preferred ones, uh, fire them over after we're talking. Um, but I really like what uh, you're doing yeah. right now. Um, right now you're doing Rio, which was announced. Was it announced officially at KubeCon? Uh, correct. Rio went beta. Uh, the announcement for beta was at KubeCon uh, in San Diego about three weeks ago. Okay, cool. I've been monitoring the rumors of Rio uh, quite a bit before that. And then um, it was barely beta, let's call it, before, of course, probably unexpectedly, you started putting out videos um, showing your, I guess, your own exploration of Rio. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's correct. The The videos that I produce on my channel, while I do work for Rancher, the stuff that's on my channel is, it, it's all me. It's not, I'm not the voice of Rancher. Uh, I'm starting to do more videos for their channel where I will be the voice of Rancher, but I want people to really understand how this technology works from somebody who, you know, I run a Kubernetes cluster in my house. I have a bunch of home automation things. And I, I again, you know, here's that theme again of I bury myself in the stuff that I want to understand and through that figure out what works and what doesn't. Any company will tell you the good parts about their product. And while there are a lot of good parts about Rancher's products, there are also ugly bits that don't work as expected. And I think it's reasonable for people to understand not just what those are, but how to work around them to spend more time on the good side of functionality. It's very cool. And do you think because it is an open source project, uh, both Rancher and Rio, that that gives you a bit of freedom to do that? I know where I'm coming from there. I'm, I don't know if you know what I mean by that. I don't. Can you ask it a different way? Okay. So if you if this was a commercial product that they were selling, um, you might be more constrained by the company itself to talk less about its warts and more about its its positives, you know, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, that does make sense. I don't think that the open sourciness of Rancher's model is what permits that. It's the amazing leadership at Rancher that has given me the leeway. Obviously, there are lines that I can't cross, but I can get right up to some some lines that would make a lot of companies uncomfortable. I try to make sure that I present information always in a constructive light, not just complaining about something that doesn't work, but if something doesn't work, always finding a solution. And that's the way I try to operate in my life in general, because I don't really want to spend time on the negativity. Rancher's leadership embraces that, which is wonderful. And then out of doing that, I'm able to uncover things from the user perspective that I can then take back to the engineering team and ask them questions about, hey, what is it that you're trying to do with this? Because here's all the stuff that I tried and I couldn't really figure out how to make it work. Sometimes I'm doing something wrong, but more often conversations come out of that that result in a stronger, more valuable product uh, and a better development cycle for that. Cool. That, that makes sense. I think I, the reason I asked that is because there was uh, one of the first videos I saw of yours was when you're talking about backups, essentially. And you mm-hmm. you said something that was an alternative to what's in the documentation. And I thought, oh, mm-hmm. interesting. That is actually a really effective bit of information because there's a lot of things that every bit of technology has documentation. It's rarely the best way. Well, entirely the best way to do everything. There are an infinite number of ways to skin a cat. And it's somebody yeah. with... 27 years of system administration experience. I have my own ideas on what I think are better ways to do them, but I could also still be wrong. I try to just present the information and let people make their own decisions. Very cool. Uh, so I've, I've already mentioned Rio, but we didn't actually say what it was. Um, so if you don't mind, can you tell me what Rio is? What is the problem that if there was one or the challenge that Rio is trying to fix? Yeah, totally. Rio when Rio first came out, uh, when it was announced earlier this year, they were calling it the MicroPaaS for Kubernetes. And we've since changed that to call it the Application Deployment Engine for Kubernetes. And both of those are just marketing terms, but we're trying to get in a single soundbite a definition of the experience. The problem, from what we've seen in the market, you have two types of people working with Kubernetes. Really, two types of people doing anything with technology. You've got the operations people and you've got the developers. I like to talk about how, you know, they're cats and dogs. And from the dawn of time, operations people and devs have never really gotten along because devs want to push their code out and operations people see them as, you know, taking shortcuts and introducing risks to the environment. Developers see the ops people as being too rigid and constrained. So they end up going around them. And it's just this ugly thing. Kubernetes largely favors the operations people that has lots of really great structure for how you deploy and maintain things. And a lot of the developers are like, meh. Like, we don't really want to have to learn all of this nonsense just so that we can push code. So there's resistance to the adoption of Kubernetes. And in some of Rancher's customers, we've seen that resistance play out quite strongly, where there are some development teams that just are really opposed to the introduction of new technology, whether it's the complexity of it or just the fact that people tend to resist change, even if the change might be beneficial, because it's hard to see that when you're down in the trenches. That's one data point. A separate data point is that, remember that Rancher had Cattle, which was their original orchestrator that was actually based on Docker and Docker Compose. And it picked up a huge following of people who really loved the simplicity of it. But as this Kubernetes thing grew, Rancher became aware that what they were effectively building was Kubernetes, just with a different name and with a smaller pool of development resources. So they pivoted and went all in on Kubernetes And there was this contingent of cattle users who are also part of the larger contingent of Docker Compose users that felt like they were kind of being forced to cross that line. So that's a separate data point. Mm -hmm. Where Rio comes in 
is Rio gives a developer the power of the tools of Kubernetes with things like deployments and scaling and health checking and monitoring, but also more complex things like service mesh, canary deployments, A-B testing, scaling and versioning without having to understand or spend time in the nitty gritty of Kubernetes. So if, if an operations team deploys Rio or even developers, if they have a Kubernetes cluster that they deploy Rio into, suddenly they have a declarative structure for their applications that is very similar to what Docker Compose was. And now they can define their apps and push them out. And Rio can do things like monitor a GitHub repo. So when you push changes up to the GitHub repo, it automatically pulls those down, builds a new image, versions it, deploys it, rolls traffic over to it. It's integrated with Linkerd. It's integrated with Glue. So you get all of these powerful tools, but your interface to them is simplistic. Interesting. Okay. It sounds like, actually, you said a lot of things that made me think of a lot of existing, I guess, open source tools that are already on the market. I mean, when I first read it, I thought, okay, it sounds like Helm a little bit. But then I thought, oh, actually, it sounds a little bit like there's a bit of, um, I don't want to say ISEO, but there are pieces of other tools out there that I've seen. And, and I don't want to say it, it looks like somebody's gathered up the best of the features and put it all into one easy interface. But if there's a little bit of that in there. And I, I don't know because my education on Rio actually at this point is solely coming from your videos and they're not all done yet. So where would you say where you are in your path with Rio? What are some of the Eureka moments you've had playing with it that you've thought, wow, this is super cool. And on the same lines, is there anything where you thought, well, that was a little bit more challenging than I expected? Yes. Eureka moments, the, the things that I thought were super cool. Yeah. The ability to version applications and then roll traffic over to them. So you can have, I guess I get the terms wrong because, well, because they're new. So you can deploy an application with Rio and so let's say it's V1 and then you can stage V2. So I'll give you a perfect example. Rancher's website is a static site generated by Hugo. And there's a whole push process that results in the build of a container and then that gets rolled out and, and, frequently we need to hold off on pushing changes into the repo because there's, for example, a press release that can't go out until tomorrow. So somebody has to get up in the morning and then go through that entire build process at 6 a.m. so that the press release can get out at the same time that it hits the wire. And if there's a problem, then suddenly we're behind. In a real model, you would have the actual website out there invisible to everybody. And then we would stage tomorrow's version of the website and it would have a weight of zero, whereas the current site has a weight of a hundred, hundred percent. And then tomorrow morning, somebody simply needs to get up and say, Rio promote V2 over the next 30 seconds or instantly or whatever. And Rio will roll all of the traffic from V1 to V2. If there's a problem, you can just promote V1 back and it simplifies that whole process for something where you need to stage multiple versions and have those versions available for people to look at prior to them being actually pushed live. There are other tools that do these things. You can you know, talk about pushing stuff through a Jenkins pipeline and deploying an independent Kubernetes cluster to push that to with a separate ingress point so you can go and look at it. 27 ways to skin a cat. Again, what hmm. Rancher is trying to do with Rio is to create a path through complexity that hits the majority of the requirements and maintains the simplicity. I mean, that's, that's really true across all of their products is they're going for a simple way to do the majority of things that normal people need to do with the applications that they're working with, whether it's Kubernetes or deployments or Glue or Linkerd or whatever. That sounds super cool. 
Can you, okay, question on that, and I don't know if you've got there. You talked about getting up at six in the morning, et cetera. Can you time the promotion, or does that not even make sense? I'm just thinking of no, the you idea of, sorry, go ahead. You absolutely could. Uh, Rio is just a CLI, and I mean, there's also a dashboard for it, but Rio is a CLI, and it uses your local kube config to determine what cluster it's actually talking to. So theoretically, if you had already approved the V2 and it just needed to go live, you just run that out of a cron job or an at job. Mm-hmm and just run Rio promote V2 tomorrow morning at 5.55 and it'll be done. I personally cool. prefer to have somebody watching those things because I, <laughs> being that I, I ran data centers for big media companies, I've seen too many of those things go south. Okay. I'm just, yeah, maybe I'm just throwing some bad practice out there. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not bad practice. If you're a hundred percent confident that it's ready to go, then there's no reason to get out of bed. I, I also like sleeping. Part of yeah. Yeah. Manage, I think so. I was thinking of the, your, kind anymore. of your press release model. Yeah, if it's something as simple as a press release or a content change, then yeah, there's absolutely no reason not to automate that. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So is that your number one? Is there any others? That's the number one. Uh, there are a lot of other workflow-related things. Like the, the integration with the service mesh is is cool. Like I, even with all of my years of experience, am still daunted by... like I've, I've deployed Istio, and I'm like, okay, I don't really actually know why I would use this, or where I would use it would be something you know like circuit breakers and and making sure that there's graceful failover of stuff. So my approach to everything with Kubernetes is I, because of my background, I see Kubernetes as essentially a, a almost like an SDN tool where the things that I used to do with hardware for load balancing and switching and routing we can now do in software and it's just integrated into this whole platform. I mean everybody knows the value of containers, the portability and the you know, right once run anywhere promise that Java never really I don't know maybe they gave it to us I don't want to talk bad about Java. Um, <laughs> it's hard not to. <laughs> so when I look at service mesh, the value that it provides is offset by the level of effort that I have to go through to just get it out there. Having something like Rio that has that baked into it, where it just is, where all of that's done for me already, mm-hmm. is valuable. That lets me spend time on the places where I can, can deliver the most value. Okay, very cool. Very cool. So is there anything in terms of challenges that you saw on the way through that you thought, what? Yeah, (laughs) yes, there have been. Um, I want to caveat this. First of all, Rio is still beta. And any of us who've been in the industry for a long time still hear beta as almost ready for production, but might still have some small bugs. Rancher doesn't use the term beta that way. Rancher has their alpha release, which is like, hey, here's the first time you get to see this. And it probably mostly doesn't work because we're still building it. Beta is the second iteration of that where more stuff works, but things are still changing. Like There was a huge change between the alpha and the beta release of Rio where they swapped out Istio with Linkerd. They added glue. Uh, they changed out a big chunk of the deployment engine. A lot of the commands didn't work. That transition was tough, but it's to be expected. Within the beta, if you look at the Rio docs and the documentation that they have up right now on the repo is quite good, but it's written by people who spend all day inside of Rio. There are pieces of data that are missing that would provide context. Mm. One of those was around a feature called the router for me. So the router, I spent some time with the router and I basically get it. You can create a route where you can do prefix matching or hostname matching. It's essentially you creating layer seven load balancer rules for ingress traffic and then routing it to things on the back end. Those things could be inside of Rio. They could be inside of the Kubernetes cluster, but outside of the what Rio controls. They can be arbitrary Kubernetes services. So conceptually, I can see the value of it. In my videos, I was trying to stay just within the domain of what Rio is managing. 
And I really struggled to understand the value of the router. I think it will become valuable, but I think that it's still early. And the examples that they give in the documentation, it's like, okay, you can do this thing, but there's nothing about why you would want to, or what's the situation in which this is the answer to a problem where there isn't another answer that might already be better than Kubernetes itself. And I trust you have access to ask the right people the why question about that. Are you doing that or are you kind of mm-hmm. reserving that until afterwards? Oh, no, I've uh, <laughs> I've been a thorn in the side of the Rio developers since <laughs> since I started this. And earlier in this podcast, I said that there's value in the videos that I'm producing because it allows me to take intelligent questions back to them from the perspective of a user and then also have a, a dialogue with them about you know, what they're trying to do and other options on how they might want to accomplish that or how it's experienced on my side. Router resulted in one of those conversations. Uh, the Rio file itself resulted in another one of those conversations. I also uncovered two bugs in Rio on Monday, which in the next video I produce, I'll present answers to. So yes, there I am able to go back to them and they have been very receptive uh, to input from me, which is nice. They're really trying to make a product that is valuable the people who will use it. Awesome. That's cool. So, okay. So I'll leave that there. I have a question. Have you gotten to, I, I was looking at the, all the different features that the, uh, let's call it the engine can deploy. And I saw mm-hmm. HTTPS. I don't know if you've gotten to that in a video I've not watched, uh, but I was going to ask about how that works or if that's, is that too much for a podcast? Should I just direct people at your No, video? no, no. That's actually a great question. And it's really interesting that, uh, that you bring it up because that's probably the coolest Rio feature, but the one that's the most understated and the one that you have to do the least for. I'll explain. Anything that you deploy inside of Rio. Okay, well, first of all, when you deploy Rio, uh, Rancher has an arrangement with Let's Encrypt where we're able to generate wildcard certificates. So when you deploy Rio, unless you provide your own domain, you are given a random subdomain on the larger domain of on-rio.io. So you might be like, abcde.onrio.io. And then all of your workloads get domain or a host name in front of that, depending on what type of workload you're deploying. Those are then automatically secured with a certificate from Let's Encrypt. So literally everything that you deploy inside of Rio automatically gets a TLS certificate. And when I mentioned router earlier, and I said that one of the use cases of router is you can route to arbitrary Kubernetes services. I was having a discussion with Dax McDonald, who's one of the developers, he said his favorite thing about router is if you have a Kubernetes service that is not protected by a TLS certificate and you have Rio deployed, you can just make a route that points to that service and Rio will generate a certificate for it. So the transparency of TLS and the fact that it just happens automatically for everything that gets deployed is super cool and super easy. And I'll call more attention to it in my next video. Awesome. That's, and I'm asking if I, because I have a real problem that, that, that actually, this would be a, a huge solution for. So that's, uh, that's awesome. That's why I want to call it out. Cool. So is there anything about Rio that I've not asked you that you think, Oh, I hope he asks me about this? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, um, not at all. I'm, I'm kind of a little concerned that my promise for the end of this seven day series is that. I'm going to take one of my production workloads and I'm going to put it under Rio. And as I progressed through it, I realized that I should probably put something not super valuable on it because it's not really ready for production. 
But I mean, it is beta. Like it's not production yet. Once it gets to GA, then it'll be ready for production and it'll be supported by Rancher. Um, so I'll probably just put like my own static website on it and use that to kind of demonstrate the use case. But I'll definitely do it. Cool. What, what do you think defines GA for, for Rio? Or do you know uh, how long it'll be before we'll see that happen? I don't. Uh, I don't have the roadmap information for that, and I don't know what features they're still looking to add or solidify. Okay. No, no worries. I thought I'd ask. Um, I noticed you're using K3S. Was that a ease choice? Are you combining because you like a challenge? No, I love K3S. I I have stuff deployed with RKE, which is Rancher's other certified Kubernetes distribution. But RKE is bulkier and heavier and requires a larger footprint in terms of hosts in order to run than what K3S does. Since I pay for all of my infrastructure myself, the ability to deploy a fully functioning, super fast, lightweight, single node Kubernetes cluster with K3S is just a no-brainer. I use it pretty much everywhere. I use it in my online trainings now. It's, it's great. So I saw Chris uh, Irwin presenting mm-hmm. K3S quite a while ago uh, when it was pretty early. And I think mm-hmm. the first question he got asked from the crowd was, so why would I not always use K3S? Um, because it's I just think... leaner, faster, better. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's the thing. Initially, so K3S also was announced as GA at KubeCon. So now it contains HA support, which it didn't have before. So you can have multi-node control planes and or multi-node masters so that uh, so that you've got high availability. When K3S first came out, the primary thing that K3S is targeted for is for resource-constrained environments. So it dropped etcd in favor of SQLite. And you can also like plug it into MySQL. You can plug it into... Uh, it's just a key value store. If you want the three-node fault tolerance of, a, of an etcd data store, then you probably want a to use RKE instead of K3S. But if you're looking for a fully functioning multi-node Kubernetes environment, whether it's for development or you know, a Raspberry Pi cluster or something like that, then K3S is fantastic. It now does... So you can plug it into etcd. You can plug it into an external data store. You can plug it into an external MySQL server if you want. And it has HA support now with DQLite. I don't actually remember the name of it. Though I don't know how stable that is. That might be a beta feature, even though K3S itself is GA. I would say right now, K3S is best suited for multi-node development. You're not going to get multi-node stuff with Minikube or anything that you can run locally on yourself. You can actually run K3S inside of Docker Compose, which is crazy. And I saw somebody was running K3S inside of K3S on Kubernetes. Um, (laughs) So it's like, which I also don't know why you'd want to do, but that gets you into this cool space of Instead of carving up a single cluster and allocating namespaces to people where there's still the possibility of data crossing security boundaries, you can literally put an entire Kubernetes cluster in a Kubernetes cluster and rely on the inner Kubernetes cluster to maintain its own data security boundaries. Uh, and you could stamp multiples of these out inside of a larger Kubernetes environment. It's These are really weird times that we live in. It's it, My head's going to explode. Uh... Yeah, I saw something similar, not with K3S, I saw something similar about a year ago where I did this pen testing course and they deployed the course as a cluster, but then inside the cluster, 
there was another thing, another cluster deployed, which was what you were going to attack. So it was like the infrastructure for the course was one thing. And then there was another one inside that you were playing inside. inside. To, it was, it was nuts. Like I was as impressed by the infrastructure for the course as I was with the course itself. Nice. Yeah. I'd like to get those guys in the podcast. Actually, that'd be good. So how is it going with K3S? I mean, we talked a little bit about it. We haven't got into any of the challenges with K3S because it seems pretty mature. And how is, how is the world reacting? Because I, I, I hear people talk about K3S independent of Rancher um, as its own thing, almost like Kubernetes when it was independent of Google. I don't know. How, what, what do you see the future of it? K3S has seen uptake by the community that far outweighs anything we ever expected. Even Darren himself was blown away by just how rapidly it has grown and taken on a life of its own. I was talking to somebody, one of the developers in Arizona, and he said that just since KubeCon three weeks ago, we've seen 65,000 downloads of the K3S binary. That's in three weeks, which is just absolutely staggering. Ranchers' products work well together, but each can be used independently. You can run RKE, and there are companies who run RKE because it's a stable container-based Kubernetes distribution, and they don't use Rancher. There are companies running just K3S who don't use Rancher. You can run them together. You can run Rio in any Kubernetes cluster. While they do fit well together, they're designed to be independent, and that gives the community the freedom to mix and match and choose and pick the right tool that works best for them. And even within Rancher, the CNCF tools that are bundled with it are not required. You don't have to use them. If you have your own Prometheus installation, you can just turn Ranchers off. If you have your own external CI/CD pipeline, you can just turn off the one that Rancher comes with. It's as modular and powerful as you need it to be for whatever it is that you're doing. That's pretty cool. So who is the architect mastermind behind all of that? I mean, it sounds very well. Aaron. Yeah. Okay. I Aaron thought you should say that. Yeah. That dude. If you want to talk about somebody who obviously spends 100% or 150% of the available time in his day thinking about these things, it's, it's him. I have no idea how he can produce with the output that he does. He's amazing. Sounds like somebody I should get on the podcast. Oh, he's great on podcasts. He's wicked smart. There's lots of ideas, lots of opinions. Oh, that's good. We like people with opinions. So I want to ask you, um, what do you do? Obviously, videos and obsessing over technology. What do you do for non-technical fun? Is that even, is that possible? Uh, I noticed that, I noticed a keyboard next to you in one of your videos. Do you play keyboard? Oh, yeah. Yes. No, so uh, <laughs> I am not like Darren. I cannot spend more time than is allotted for me during the day. But music has always been something that I've loved very much. I was a DJ in New York for a hot second. Um, I have a, a bunch of music production equipment. And that was my hobby for a little while. But it just I lacked the time to spend on it. Um, then I did. I built... Uh, RC drones for a while, RC aircraft and drones. Uh, I've got a couple of those, so I'll go fly those around. But again, you know, it's hard to turn that into an income stream. The video production stuff is really, I don't see it as work. Anything that allows me to go to bed at the end of the day with more knowledge than I had at the beginning of the day is just fun. But when I have to do other stuff, I mean, we have this piece of property that honestly right now, since we started doing videos has been, my wife has a channel as well. She does art stuff. Um, 
the property has been neglected. So like, I got to go get the tractor out and mow the field. And she works in the garden and we've got chickens and a peacock and got some workers here doing some stuff. So there's, there's like life stuff of living on a piece of property. Um, but when given the opportunity to like go on vacation or even go travel around in our own vicinity uh, and look at the stuff that Chile has to offer, we would just rather stay at home and learn more and do more and produce more. It sounds pretty awesome. I don't know how you manage a property of that size. It sounds insane. You ignore most of it. <laughs> you ignore most of it. Okay, excellent. <laughs> if I showed you the view outside my front house, uh, have you ever read anything about permaculture? No, I probably should. Right? The, the, no, not necessarily. It's, it's an interesting idea. The idea of permaculture is that you farm or you work with the land based on the properties and the principles of how nature works on the land. So they have interesting ideas related to water retention and so on and so forth. I'm not going to get into all of that. It's its own time sink. But one of the things about permaculture that I liked is they said, when you have your piece of property, you define it by zones. So zone zero is your house. Zone one is the immediate area outside your house. Zone two is a little bit further away. And you go all the way out to zone five, which is the, the back 40 that you don't look at very often. A lot of people will buy a piece of property and they try and build out the entire thing. And that's impossible to do. You won't do any of it very well. So we've been focusing on zone zero, zone one, and zone two. And we have the house. And then we have the yard around it, which is decently sized. And then zone two is the field and the orchard that we planted. And that's really all that we can do right now. We don't grow anything in the field. I just mow the weeds. That's cool. Uh, we have a raised bed garden, about a thousand square feet of raised bed, a hundred and something square meters, um, that we grow a lot of our own food in. We have about 50 fruit trees that aren't producing any fruit yet because they're still young, but they're there as well. And then the chickens that produce eggs and meat. We're going to try and get some rabbits in there. That's enough to keep us busy for now. And then once those things are done and working and automated, then we can consider, okay, what do you want to plant out there? But honestly, to do anything like that, I'd probably have to hire somebody. And I don't, I don't want to do that. I'll probably go <laughs> in the weeds. Wow. Uh, cool. Um, something I haven't done yet. Uh, how do I say your last name? I, I'm sure I've heard it said uh, on several videos and I'm going to screw it up probably. My last name is Goins. It's like coins, but with a G. All right. So that's, it's super obvious. I just wanted to make sure that you weren't going to suddenly say you were French and it's Gwen. It's Adrian Gwen, no. Steve. <laughs> You've got it wrong. No. All right. Excellent. And thanks for, for taking this hour out of your obviously incredibly busy day. I know everybody in this sort of space that we live in, uh, is occupied 24 seven because Kubernetes, cloud native, all of this stuff. It's like, Every single day, it seems like there's another open source project that's out that looks new, exciting, and cool, and you want to get into it and spend time and play. And wow, it is constant learning. So I appreciate yes. any of the time anybody gives me. Hey, it's, it's been great to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me on. And that is another episode of Beer Sec Ops. Beer Sec Ops is powered by Aqua Security and assisted immensely by Shirley Fried and edited by Taylor Sattler. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.